Hello and welcome to this, the seventh CAP Gemini training podcast. This is the final episode in the series and we're going to be talking about training's role in post-go-live support. I'm Clive Barber and I'm going to be joined by my colleagues Paul Duggins, Mark Alden, Ollie Button and John Reeve. So does anybody want to actually tell us what post-go-live support is? It's not a good start, is it? <laughs> end, end it there. Just publish it now. That's it. Yeah. That's, that's it there's, a, there's a clue in the name, isn't there, really? It's the support that you give to people after go-live. What is the training team's role traditionally in, in post-go-live support? Quite often it will be stuff like floor walking, setting up Webex surgery sessions that people can dial into with their Q&As. Yeah, those I think would be the main activities we'd get involved in for, from a training side. So yes, post-go-life support is basically all of those things that John has said. Should training be finished before you go live? Not necessarily. It depends, I guess, what the training is covering, isn't it? If it, For example, if it's a process that is not actually going to happen because it's um, something that's geared to a certain period in time, like end of year or half year, then not necessarily. You wouldn't necessarily want to train people in sort of October for something that they're not going to need to do till the following February, March time, for example. Yeah, I think it's it's often it's a case of prioritising, isn't it, as well? If you're, if you're stuck with a go-live date and for whatever reason uh, you're up against it time-wise, you can actually prioritise who you train before go-live, get everything critical done before go-live, and then people with less critical roles, whether they maybe they don't use the system as frequently enough, you can actually cover those after the go-live event. So what sort of activities are we doing in a, a, a post-go-live support? John's mentioned a few. What else should we be thinking about? Did, did you mention floor walking, John? I did. Did so, and and how is that a useful activity other than the people you're actually helping? How is that a useful activity for the training team? Well, I I think one of the reasons why we're key sort of to the entire floor walking exercise is very often we've got a wider view of of, of the system than maybe some of the more technical people because obviously the technical people we work with are focused in particular areas, whereas when we're developing the training. We, we, we naturally have to take a far wider view. So therefore, if you like almost being like a jack of all trades, we're out there, we've got that, that, that user-friendly view. And I think one of the key things that we then do is actually act as a conduit. Because the reality is, is that whilst we might have a view of how the system's going to work and the technical guys might have a view of how the system's going to work, when the users are out there in the wild, so to speak, you, you just can't predict what they're going to be doing or what they're going to be trying to be doing. So problems arise that no one could ever foresee just because of the way that people are using the system. So I think us acting as that conduit from the users and using their language and then feeding that back into the more technical guys to then look into certain issues that nobody had predicted, I think it's a really important thing that we provide that, dare I say, nobody else really can. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a good point. I'm also thinking about issues with the training. So if you're actually getting a lot of people asking the same questions, it kind of points that points to something that maybe you haven't covered sufficiently in the training. So it kind of gives you some pointers about what additional materials you should make available and, and that sort of thing. There's a couple of key things, I think, as well, as far as post-go-live support is concerned. 
key thing, I think, is to get an agreement with the business up front of what uh, the, the post-life go-life support is actually going to look like. Um, so you actually include that and have, actually have a plan for it up front within the project. And also, I think it's really key to get some people involved from the business. So if you've been undertaking some wider change activities, like having a uh, change network, change champions out there in the business for whatever um, new process or system you're bringing in, get them involved in the post-go-live support. Because the real advantage there is that obviously post-go-live support will only go on for two, three weeks after the project at most. After that, what happens? Where do people go for support? So if you've got that knowledge embedded with a few select experts within the business, you've got those go-to people for people to go to after their training. And one other thing that occurred to me as well is that obviously there's reports available for most systems when they're implemented. So it might be useful to start looking at you know, what transactions are being used most frequently, what transactions are, are, are failing, uh, what are people getting wrong, are people using things that you didn't anticipate them using, so maybe you need to create some additional materials, that kind of stuff. I think one of the things we bring as well is that, dare I say, and I know it's a terrible phrase, that we might be more people people rather than some of the areas of the business. So actually we can be out there showing a friendly face, a face that actually, if it's been classroom training, that they probably already, you know, know. And we can be out there, we can be listening to people. And it's actually not necessarily all negative stuff either, because sometimes when you're going around, particularly on that kind of one-to-one basis, you might find somebody's found something, a really clever shortcut, which we weren't aware of. And then that's something, again, that we can feed out to the wider business. So so I think that's that human face that we can project and that listening ear and, and all those things that, that we, I think, naturally do just based on the kind of people that we are, I, I think is the key things helping embed this within, you know, any kind of business as well. Yeah, I agree. So what sort of planning should we be doing for post-go-live support? What things do we need to prepare before go-live? Branded T-shirts. Sounds sounds dark, Sashi. sounds a bit trite, but anything like that, basically anything that draws attention to you. Because the trouble is, if you're in a big open office space and somebody's turning around looking for a floor walker and they're not immediately obvious who they are, then if they see somebody in a bright bright pink T-shirt or something, then, uh, then yeah, they can very easily identify who they are. It's a good point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like seems a daft point, but it's it's absolutely valid, isn't it? Yeah, to, to make sure that the people that are available to help do actually stand out. So the other things I'm thinking about is, you know, potentially do you need to have some training rooms booked in advance just in case there's any kind of remedial action needed, Train make trainers available. And then it's things like offer additional sessions, so kind of drop-in sessions that people can attend and if they've got any specific questions they can come to the, the project room or whatever you want to call it and ask specific questions in there. Anything else? I think one of the things that shouldn't be underestimated again is, well, actually, when do we need to provide the support? Because if something's key to um, a 24-7 business, then actually, you know, and I've done this, you need to be available in the middle of the night. It might be with quite, obviously quite a small group of people then, but then if somebody's going to be there in the night, if it's a small group of people, then they obviously can't be there the following day. So that kind of logistic and equally, things like, you know, working weekends, if it's appropriate, as soon as you can know those things to actually then go in and plan, 
it basically a plan out we're going to go in and marshal our resources i think is a really important thing because we're not providing our best if we're working you know hours after hours and days after days without any break i think you're right and it's also not only when it's the where as well so you may have a, a, a team of accountants in an office 100 miles away so you make sure you've got the people there for month end and that and that type of thing so yeah specific resources available for a specific team and actually somebody just pops into my head as well sort of having sort of burnt myself on this uh, do you need specific access to get into somewhere because there's nothing worse than being st- standing outside the door at half past 10 at night and there's no one around and you can't get in and basically if somebody needs your help but uh they don't know you're there and you can't get in so so yeah that that kind of stuff as well it, it's those little things that can be missed so I, I think those are the things that needs to be planned out in advance to just make it smooth really I think you're going to consider your uh, your remote workforce as well. For instance, uh, that you might not be able to do floor walking for people who are out in the field, so potentially you could offer them a helpline to call, WebEx sessions, that sort of stuff, so that they don't feel left out. And another key thing I think as well is that a lot of those remote people and a lot of people based in an office as well, their first put of call when they have a problem with their system is to call up their help desk even if it is just a how do I call. Uh, so really, it's quite important to upskill the help desk so that they can handle some of the very easy how do I type queries that come in, but also so that they know where to refer those calls on. And that's actually feeds into another thing, which is it's a nice way of being able to measure the success of your post go live support in the sense that if you've got not that many how do I queries coming into the helpline, then it's a pretty good indicator that you're doing a pretty good job of it. I think another thing uh, to think about as well is obviously if people have been trained a month or so before, they may have forgotten certain things. So it's a good opportunity to send out reminders, to send links to training materials. Hopefully you've created all of your materials in in a granular kind of way. So if it's Again, using month end as an example, if you've got some specific transactions they need to complete, send out reminders, send out links to the lessons that show people what they need to do. Definitely. I think as well, include in the comms up front and in the training reference to the fact that you are going to be providing uh, this post go live support, what people will be wearing, what they will look like, who will be providing it, how long for. So people are then aware of what support they're going to get after the training. A lot of post-go-live support isn't so much traditional training. It's more of a coaching kind of model because you're looking at more sort of one-to-one support. So what what's the difference between training and coaching? I think if you're doing training well, not a huge amount because really they're both about drawing stuff out of people in many ways. I suppose with coaching even more so you're because they you know that they've got that knowledge because... You've already trained it out to them. So it's sort of saying to them, well, do you remember that bit that we did in training? Do you remember when we covered this? Yeah, so it's those sort of questions, drawing the knowledge out of people and reminding them rather than serving it up to them, as it were. Absolutely. So you're kind of enhancing the knowledge they've already got rather than trying to do a exactly. knowledge transfer. So I guess the other thing is it's, it's usually it's, it's personalised, it's one-to-one, usually informal. It's at a desk or at a, you know another a, another suitable venue, usually short in, short in duration. So it's only a couple of minutes to point them in the right direction. And it's obviously a, it's specific and, and focused on the, the needs that they currently have, and it's all kind of on-the-job stuff. Yeah, I think there's another slight difference as well, and that is I think potentially training is more around, you know, the trainer demonstrates and instructs something before the learner or the delegate, whoever has the opportunity to try that for themselves. Whereas 
sometimes I think coaching tends to be that you are, you know, you're you're providing just enough information, but you don't necessarily explain the whole process. You're sort of encouraging that person to think about the process and do that for themselves while providing pointers to steer them on the right path, aren't you? So I think that's a really important point, actually, because you're not it, the temptation is when you're actually showing somebody how to do something at, at on the you know when you're at their desk is to grab the mouse off and grab the keyboard off them and and do it for them that's the last thing you should be doing you need to be encouraging them to actually do what it is so like john said you know you ask questions rather than tell them specifically what to do therefore helps them to actually remember for next time last week's podcast was all about evaluation one of the things we said it's often quite difficult to do levels three and four but i think the post go live support role for training gives us a really good opportunity to do a certain level of evaluation what level's that we're thinking of now three so that's a reminder level one is the reaction do people enjoy the training uh, was it relevant to them were they satisfied level two was learning have they acquired the knowledge or the skills that's the kind of the post course test and level three is the behavior so are they actually applying the knowledge skills and attitude once they're back in the job Post go live support gives you a good opportunity to actually see them using, hopefully, what they've learned in the training. The other thing I wanted to talk about was um, we talked a little bit about other activities that you should be doing, other training activities you should be doing post go live. And one of the things I mentioned a moment ago was was sending out reminders and, and links to people. We are partnered up with SAP to implement their Enable Now product, which is a, a digital adoption tool. So it's one of those tools that's available in the live environment so people can, when they click on a a certain field or they hover over a certain field it will actually give them instructions as to what to do so those things you need to make sure people understand that those are available and how they work that they've got it switched on and that should if you've done it properly give people a lot of the information they actually need to support the system Well, that's the end of this first series of Cap Gemini podcasts about training. We'd love to hear any ideas you have for future episodes. Just leave a comment on whatever app you use to listen to these podcasts and we will hopefully do something about it. Thanks again for listening. I hope you've got a lot out of it. We certainly have enjoyed doing them and we'll see you next time round.